Welcome to the Grappling Discourse Podcast. Guys, I hope you have had a great start to 2024. Now, my 2024 did not start off on the right foot. I was super sick for a week. So, January 1st, woke up, had a normal day. Worked out, trained, taught a class that night, had a busy day. Ate, went to sleep. Now, I woke up at 3 a.m. And felt terrible. I threw up, uh, threw up a couple of times, but right after I threw up, I felt pretty good. Went right back to bed, woke up the next day. I had a green recovery score on my whoop strap. Now, the, uh, the times in the past that I've been sick, my recovery has been shot. It's been in like the teens. My heart rate's been elevated. My skin temperature has been elevated and my HRV has been tanked, but I was in the green. And so I didn't think uh, much about like the episode of throwing up. I was like, maybe I just had something like I ate something that didn't sit quite well with my stomach, threw it up, got it on my system. I'm good to go. So I went to the gym, worked out really hard, had a hard workout, set a PR on my incline bench press, did a bunch of pull-ups, hit a couple of other exercises, felt good, felt strong. Hour and a half later, I went and got lunch. And every hour after I ate, I felt worse and worse. And I was trying to make it through the day. I really was. I wanted to get a couple of signups. We had some guys trying the gym out, and they were really good leads. They had all trained. We had three guys try class. They had all trained grappling before. And so I felt really good about it. I was like, man, you know, we're about to sign up at least one of these guys, maybe even all three. But I could not make it. I felt bad. I just felt off and I didn't know how sick I was but what's crazy is is the moment I was like hey I've got to get out of here I'm not feeling the best the moment I said that it was like every 30 minutes I started slipping farther and further down (laughs) and I got really sick by the time mid time uh, midnight hit I had a 102.1 fever I had thrown up a bunch of times my stomach was a wreck I couldn't even really hold down water, barely slept that night. My whoop said that I slept for about an hour and 15 minutes. And so the next day, my recovery score was 1%, which is the lowest I have ever had. My HRV was in the teens. I believe it was 18. My resting heart rate, which is normally between 46 and 51, was 69. My skin temperature was elevated. I felt terrible now my stomach was a wreck and that was like the main thing I could just feel something was off in my stomach and so I decided to fast see if I could fast through this and I went almost three days without eating um, it's the longest I've ever gone without eating I've done a couple of two-day fasts but never past two days and I almost made it three I did have some soup at probably five hours to go to the the three-day mark and I had a bowl of soup. Sap didn't sit very well, you know. I definitely I wasn't as nauseous as I was, but my stomach was still a little bit messed up. And it took a couple of more days for me to be 100% recovered. And so I missed the first week of training. And I was kind of joking with Lindsay. I was like, man, there's people <laughs> that uh, that have barely trained that already have like more mad hours than me in 2024. You know, that come in, they're trying to, you know, new year, new me. 
or maybe they're just starting jujitsu and they've already hit the gym twice and I have missed every training session. And so it wasn't the best start. I really like to start the years off strong, but I had to rest for a week. But this week I feel great. I've trained really, really good. I've had strong workouts, so I can happily say I am 100% recovered. Today I want to talk about being a hater and really the, the mindset shift that I've had since being a competitor to now just trying to master the art of grappling. I decided that I wanted to pursue jujitsu full time when I was midway through my blue belt. I was in love with the sport and I was going to do anything to make this work. Now I was competing and at the time there weren't many... <laughs> There were many options available for like high level competitions, especially when it comes to making money. There weren't like EBI wasn't around back when I was midway through my blue belt. Um, there weren't like cash tournaments around. It was really just local competitions and then the big one, ADCC. ADCC was the Olympics of our sport back then, the same as, as it is now. And I believe the ADCC purse back then was $40,000 to win the division and $50,000 to win the absolute. And I think those numbers are still the same. I'm not quite sure um, if that's the same for you know 2022, if that's what those guys got paid. But pretty sure that was back then. And so my, my, in my mind, I was like, look, I'm going to make a run at ADCC. I'm going to go win an ADCC trials, which is a huge deal. In 10th Planet, we had only had, I believe Eddie was the only guy that had competed ADCC still. Geo hadn't won the trials. And uh, yeah, so I was like, look, I'm going to go win ADCC trials. I'm going to be the first 10th Planet guy to do that. Then I'm going to have a strong showing at ADCC. By metal, that's going to change my life. I'll be one of the most accomplished. I'll be the most accomplished 10th Planet grappler, which will be huge because I thought 10th Planet was going to continue to grow and grow and grow. And then the rest of the community, because it is the Olympics, will know my name. And I'll start getting a bunch of seminar opportunities, and I'll be set for the rest of my life. I'll be able to do seminars whenever I want to, and I'm super young. I'm in my mid-20s. I'll make a run and I mean gold medal for ADCC that was the ultimate goal now ADCC has one big problem especially for a guy like me with my body I am not a 145 pound grappler and I'm also not a 170 pound grappler I think my best division for me for my body type is 155 now, at that time, at Bluebell, I was about 165. And so I could not imagine, could not imagine competing at the 66-kilogram division, 145 pounds. Now, a few years later, I would be doing 145 same-day weight. But that was, I was a long way away from that mindset and just that level of discipline. And so I was like, look, I'm not doing 145. There's no like other, like the next division is 168.6, I think is the 77 kilogram division, but that's the division I'm going to do. And so I'm going to put on some weight. I'm going to lift and get stronger and try and get to up to about 177 ish, give or take a couple of pounds. And I'm going to cut weight, make 77 kilograms division. And that's going to be my division that I compete in. Well, 
the champion of that time and the goat of that division was Marcel Garcia and is Marcel Garcia. He is still the goat of the 77 kilogram division. And Marcelo is an innovator. A lot of what he was doing back then was kind of the staple and kind of the foundations to a lot of the modern jiu-jitsu game, a lot of the modern grappling game. But I was a hater, and I hated on Marcelo throughout my colored belt years. I tried not to give him any credit. Anytime somebody said he was the best, I said somebody else was. I argued many a times about how Cabrinha or Hoffa Mendez, Hodger Gracie, all those guys were better than him. I rooted against him. I remember telling people, I remember Brandon one time asking me because we had like argued about, you know, how Marcelo wasn't the best. He wasn't the best grappler in the world. And he's like, well, what do you think would happen if you rolled with Marcelo? Five minutes. How many times do you think Marcelo would tap you? And I said, look, in a five-minute round, I can survive. Marcelo can't tap me in a five-minute round. If I know, like, all I got to do is survive now, I'll just play defense. He can't tap me. And Brandon died laughing. He thought it was that. It was one of the craziest things he had ever heard. But I really believed it. I really was telling myself this stuff. And as a competitor, I think that's super important. You've got to believe crazy things until they come true. Now, if you're not working your ass off and you're not competing, you're not trying to be the best you can be, that's one thing. But I was trying and I was really believed it, you know. And um, <laughs> the thing about Marcelo, especially back then, there was a, a let's just look at all the curriculum that 10th Planet used back then. So 10th Planet Decatur and 10th Planet as a whole, I'd say really had three main components to their curriculum. The first being Eddie Bravo's influence. That was a huge, huge part of it. So one was just the mastering the rubber guard, mastering the twister, all those books. You know, a lot of the Moonheads back then owned those books. They owned Eddie's DVDs. And a lot of the curriculum and talk came from that. Also, Eddie had mastering the system up. So mastering the system is still around. I'm not sure how much Eddie charges now, but back then it was $4.99. So for $4.99, you could sign up for a monthly subscription to see what Eddie was teaching and you'd get to watch Eddie's rolling in there. It was like a big part. I, I, he would release a mastering of the system every month and it'd be like MTS one, MTS two, and you get to see um, different guys teach. And I mean, it really evolved over the years to, you'd have like guest instructors or different 10th planet Brown and black belts teaching their, their best moves to competition footage of the best guys. But especially in the beginning, it was just Eddie. I mean, Eddie rolling with his students at his rollings with visitors, Eddie show, uh, showing different moves. I mean, it was sick. And so that was a huge part of the curriculum. Sambo leg locks. That was also big. Blue Belt is really when um, I remember like 10th Planet starting to add leg locks. And a lot of that came from a guy named Chris Herzog. So Chris Herzog was a brown belt in the 10th Planet system, but he also had trained a bunch of Sambo. He had done a bunch of Judo, but also trained a bunch of Sambo underneath. I can't remember when the guy's name that he trained there. But anyways, he taught a couple of different seminars at our school at 10th Planet Decatur. And he was the guy... Outside of Eddie, I want to say for a couple of years, Chris Herzog was the most asked for seminar. He was traveling around all the 10th planets around the United States and teaching a leg lock system. And he showcased some really cool stuff. I mean, a lot. it was a lot of like reaping 
uh, like leg locks um, and different like ties with the legs, like different leg positionings. They also got into the saddle a little bit, um, a lot of knee bars like from the like Russian cowboy and stuff. And while the stuff he showed is no, was nowhere near as sophisticated as the Donahue stuff, obviously if it was 10th Planet, it would have been leg-locking everybody and been leg-locking the Donahue guys instead of the other way around. But at the same time, it was light years ahead of what other schools were doing. And a lot of 10th Planet guys, myself included, had success at the blue and purple belt level um, with just being introduced to some of those like reaping, like just the, the basic reap just reaping in and getting heel hooks from that position. The third, though, and it was just as huge as, and I'd say even much more influence than even the leg locks, like the Sambo stuff, um, and then DDS later on. And it was probably right on par with Eddie. I feel like a lot of Eddie's curriculum started coming from Marcelo Garcia. And now here's the thing about Eddie Bravo. If Eddie Bravo is a fan of yours, if Eddie Bravo believes in you, he will shout your name from the rooftops. He will tell everyone how amazing you are. And Eddie, every time I've seen him, the last time I saw Eddie was last year in Mexico. And he talked to me 40 minutes. I swear to God, he sat me and Nakaya down and he talked about Fedor. Now, Fedor is one of his, I can't remember if Fedor's got his black belt yet or not. But anyways, Fedor's competed in some pretty big tournaments. He did the PGF, but he's Eddie's guy. And he talked to us for 40 minutes about Fedor's game. And it kind of perplexed me because in my opinion, I was like, look, Nakaya's a better competitor than Fedor. Like, she's better than, like, why are, why are you trying to tell us to copy Fedor? Like, Nakaya is one of the baddest females in the world, you know, but he was just telling us like all this stuff about Fedor and that's just Eddie though. Every time you see him, he's got one of his guys, whether I remember when it was Jeremiah Vance or Ben Eddie or Gio and Boogie Martinez, it's, it's always been somebody that Eddie is just shouting. But back then, especially it was Marcelo Garcia. And anytime Eddie got on a uh, you know rant about jiu-jitsu or especially where jiu-jitsu was going, he would talk about Marcelo Garcia, about how Marcelo Garcia was a genius, about he was innovating the game and doing things that nobody else was doing. And a lot of the 10th Planet curriculum started featuring Marcelo Garcia movements, things that Marcelo was famous for. Eddie added in a lot of like single leg X and X guard and butterfly guard into the curriculum. The Marcelo team. I remember when Eddie wanted every single practitioner in 10th Planet, every 10th Planet student to master the Marcelo team. He was having all the instructors like, no, I want you to spend time with your students. Give them the Marcelo teams. Teach it that rather than regular guillotines. Like the Marcelo team is the future. It is the best choke in the game. Rear naked chokes, that's what Marcelo does. Make sure you guys are attacking the back. Make sure you guys are spending time looking at the back position. Doing a lot of, uh, you know, just a lot of different like omoplata. Marcelo does the omoplata. And so use your rubber guard to get to the omoplata. Half guard passing. Top half in particular. We did the M1, M2, and M3 passes from half guard and quarter guard. What does M stand for? Marcelo. So Marcelo 1, Marcelo 2, and Marcelo 3. And I remember at Blue Belt, that was like probably the main thing I drilled. I'd say in Blue Belt, my Blue Belt years, the most drills I had on anything were those passes. And so, yeah, Marcelo, if you look at um, the 10th Planet warm-ups, you'll see so many different 
movements that were influenced by Marcelo Garcia. And there is a really cool video on YouTube of Marcelo and Eddie training. I believe it's like an hour-long video. You get to see him roll for like 20, 30 minutes, and then they sit around talking about jiu-jitsu. And it's a super cool video. But I remember watching that a bunch, <laughs> uh, you know, like a couple of different times. And uh, it's just, it was always so cool to see like Eddie roll with Marcelo. But anyways, yeah, so Marcelo was a huge thing. But here I was, though, hating on the guy because he was where I wanted to be. He was the champion of my division. He was the GOAT of my division. Everyone said it. My own instructor was telling me that this dude was the best. So I was like, look, this guy's not shit. Give me five. This dude couldn't tap me in five minutes. This dude, like, just give me time. And I would always argue, no, this he's Marcelo's the best guy right now. I'd be like, no, 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 Cobrini is better. Hoffa Mendez is better. Hajar Gracie's better. There's better guys. There's people coming up that are going to be better than Marcelo. And the thing about Marcelo is he took a lot of chances. Marcelo would go and do the absolute ADCC season, and he would compete against much bigger opponents than himself. And so he does have a couple of sub-losses. And I'd be like, look, Marcelo's not unbeatable. Like, he's been subbed in competition. Hey, Robert Drysdale subbed him with the Dars. Finals of ADCC. Marcelo's not unbeatable. And I told myself that. I wanted to make him human. You see, I couldn't worship the guy. Like, that's, that's who I would, would, thought I was going to be competing against one day. That's where I thought I was going to be. I'm going to do well at ADCC. I'm going to win ADCC. And then at Purple Belt, when I actually did the ADCC trials, and I did really well, I got to the quarterfinals. I was like, look, I'm going to be there. You know, the guy that beat me, he had a match with Marcelo. Now, he beat me. <laughs> yeah, and I've talked about it a few different times. But anyways, you know, I'm a purple. I'm like, look, I'm a purple belt, 24 years old. Just give me next trials. I was like, if I continue improving the way that I am, next trials, I'm going to do really well. I'm going to get the invite, and I'm going to go. Well, unfortunately for me, that was kind of the start of my injuries. Injured my elbow super bad, then tore my shoulder up. And while I competed a handful of more times, my competition career <laughs> was very short-lived after all those injuries. And there's something about injuries, I think, that really takes the fight out of you as a competitor. And... As I said, you know, and I was kind of talking about my competitive mindset. And I think a lot of guys have that, you know, mindset, you know. And I've seen Travis, um, who's just on fire right now. I definitely want to talk about Travis's most recent performance and just how we prepared and just little adjustments we made for that uh, match that he was going to, get, uh, going, um, to do at Combat Jiu-Jitsu in December in Arizona, you know, and just talk about a couple of things we did from kind of coach to student standpoint. But anyways, Travis is like that, you know. He's like, man, you know, I think I could beat Gordon. I'm going to be the guy to beat Gordon Ryan. I'm going to be the guy. Like, no, I'm going to go win the ADCC trials. He's already talking about the ADCC West Coast trials. Like, no, I'm going to go win this. And I love that, you know. I love hearing competitive. I think you have to be like that as a competitor. You can't worship. You can't be afraid. You can't look at somebody else and think they're better than you. You can't start seeing your competition as being but like as being above you. Like no, he's a human. He bleeds just like I do. He gets tired just like I do. I'm going to find his weakness and I'm going to beat him. Like ah, I'm not even going to walk. Who is this guy? Look. Ah, okay. Yeah, I guess he's pretty good, but I'm going to beat him, you know. 
But what's crazy is uh, I remember when my mindset started to shift, you know, because especially now, Marcelo would kick my butt today. Luckily, I mean, very happy to hear Marcelo recently had a cancer diagnosis. He has beaten cancer and he has just gotten back to training, I think, as of a couple of months ago. But still, Marcelo would kick my butt. He is probably so much better than me. I've never trained with him, never had the honor to do that. But look, I understand now. Like the dude's on the Mount Rushmore of jujitsu. And back then, look, Marcelo would have kicked my butt. I think about where I was at Blue Belt when I was saying that stuff. Dude, Marcelo would have destroyed me. Marcelo has influenced the game probably more than just about anybody. Like I can say all these great things about Marcelo now, but it's just funny to think about the two different mindsets that I had. And I remember when that shift started to take place and when I really had to start looking in the mirror and especially after the injuries and I wasn't competing as much, I had kind of fallen out of love with competing. I remember I watched a video because Marcelo was, um, kind of the first guy, him and Eddie are the two that I can really think of that posted a lot of their training footage. Most guys, everything was secret, especially the Gracies. It was all like secret. We can't show you our moves. That's kind of how most martial artists went about their techniques. They weren't going to show, they weren't going to make a DVD. They weren't going to show you their best stuff. And they definitely weren't going to show you footage of them training hard. But Marcelo, he filmed thousands of roles and he put it up on his uh, website as MG in action. And I cannot imagine, I wonder how much Marcelo has made off that website because it, there was a time when it was by far the best resource to study. Now, especially with the rise of BJJ Fanatics and all the different instructionals you can get from all the different best guys in the game today, um, you know, that those are obviously the top choices, I think. But back then it was, no, you had an MG in action. And I remember watching uh, a role between Marcelo Garcia and Cabrinha. And again, Cabrinha was one of the dudes. I was like, look, Cabrinha is more technical. He is better than Marcelo. And I watched the role. And while Marcelo didn't tap Cabrinha, he definitely kind of kicked his butt. He definitely beat him pretty good swept him a bunch like Gobrinha couldn't do anything to Marcelo and the technique Marcelo displayed was just inspired it was incredible what he was able to do he made it look so easy and Gobrinha I mean he's he's one of the goats he's one of the goats in the sport and so I kind of really had to start looking like man I, I was being a hate like I was just I was kind of being an asshole towards this guy's being a hater just from a competitive standpoint, and especially now, I'm starting to see that ADCC is probably not my future. And Marcelo wasn't even competing at ADCC then. At this point, I was like, "Look, this dude's pretty damn good. He's he's definitely one of the best of all time." And it's a lot easier when you have that mindset, right? Like I think as a competitor, sometimes you get better out of spite sometimes or like a chip on your shoulder and you're like, I'm going to get better than this guy because like, I'm going to train and I'm going to work on these things because I want to beat this guy. But when you get out of that mindset and you start training to just get better and for mastery's sake and just because you love the art of whatever you're pursuing, you start to watch and you start to appreciate other 
practitioners and you start to take from them because you think it's beautiful and you can see the value in what they're doing and how that can be utilized to make yourself better. And so while at the end of the day, you know, I, th- I don't think either one's wrong. Like I really think a competitor needs to have um, kind of a dog eat dog mentality and like I'm going to rise, to, I'm going to be the, the cream at the top of, of this barrel. You know, I'm going to rise above my competitors. Like, no, no, I don't care who that, Gordon Ryan, dude, Gordon Ryan, he's got stomach aches. He's sick all the time. His era is over. It is the time of whatever you're in, of Travis Thomas, right? Travis Thomas is going to be the best grappler this year. Micaiah Jackson is going to be the best grappler this year. Or you, you're going to be the best grappler this year. Just wait, by the end of the year, everyone's going to know your name. But most of us, we don't compete. After you're kind of out of that mindset, you can start watching these guys and just really appreciate how beautiful the movements are. And you can really uh, study and I think get a deeper appreciation for what people are doing tactically. And I found that my game, especially when it comes to like studying, is so much better now that I'm not constantly judging others. Because again, as a competitor, if I did watch film, I'm always finding ways that I, like, ah, man, I think this guy's making a mistake here. I wouldn't do that there. Why is he doing this? That's not what I do. Where now I don't have any of that. So I can kind of really sit down with just an open mind and really kind of digest what I'm seeing without having my hater goggles on. Until next time, guys, I love and appreciate you. Peace.